Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Hey guys and gals, welcome to the Oklahoma Outdoors podcast brought to you by Arrowhead Land Company. Here you will be educated, entertained, and equipped to get more out of your outdoor experience. So hold on tight because here we go. Welcome, folks. This is the Oklahoma Outdoors Podcast. I hope you're doing swell. I hope you're staying warm. Uh, I'm recording this right in the middle of this crazy, nasty ice storm we're having, and it has not been fun. Basically, been trapped inside for, I think today's like day four or something like that. Um, it's just been really, really nasty outside, and so I hope nobody's had to get out there in it. I hope everybody's been safe. I haven't heard of many like power outages or anything, but I know the roads have been terrible. I've seen a lot of accidents on social media, so hopefully everybody's been safe. Uh, I actually had to get out in it on Monday. I guess it was the, the night it all hit. My sister-in-law had been visiting a friend of hers that had just had a baby, and she was flying back in Monday night. And you know, obviously, she was trying to beat the storm back, but obviously, it hit a little earlier than uh, they expected. I didn't think you things have were going right to get nasty to the until best Tuesday, but they service. got really nasty on Monday. Bravado Wireless provides uh, so the she best flew in, mobile and so I volunteered to help my brother-in-law out, and uh, so we took my truck and, and just you know we went together just so that he wasn't out there about. on the roads by himself. Bravado Wireless. Uh, we took it nice and slow. And ended up taking us probably three times longer than it would normally take to get there and back. But we took a lot of or one of their not necessarily back roads, but you know we didn't. Want to like take the major highways where there's you, to your family, uh, you know lots of bridges and, and stuff like partners. that. So we just all took over some, the world, uh, you know, Bravado smaller wireless, highways and stuff like power that. Power of connection ended up making it uh, safe and sound and everything. But boy, it it was a little sketchy. Not gonna lie, it was a little sketchy. So hope everybody's been safe. Um, uh, yeah, just I, my, my prayers are for anybody who had to get out there in this weather, especially any of you first responders, you know, firemen, police. Uh, you know, paramedics, hospital workers, if you had to get out there and work in this, my hat is off to you. Thank you guys so much. So, so yeah, that's uh, that's enough about the weather. I uh, hope everybody's been doing good. Like I said, I've not really been up to much, just kind of been trapped inside. I have not got to scratch my fishing itch yet. Um, I've been, you know, looking at gear and stuff online, uh, not buying too much. I've uh, been trying to, you know, be easy on the old credit card, <laughs> but uh, that's what I end up doing a lot of times when I'm trapped in uh, trapped in the house. Is I do a lot of online shopping, so been looking at all kinds of stuff, but not really buying any, and spent quite a bit of time on Onyx. Um, I I can't remember if I mentioned it on here or not. It's been about three weeks ago now. I uh, went on my first big kind of walkabout, you know, after deer season. Um, found some really cool areas that I, I'm almost ashamed I'd never found before. I found some cool ridges. I found some swampy areas that like, I, I never would have guessed we had like swamps on our place. Um, but basically in the Canyon, I'm always talking about down at the very bottom where a few of the, uh, different, you know, ridges and draws come together in the bottom. There was these little mini swamps. I'm talking, you know, reeds and willows and standing water and stuff. And uh, a lot of deer sign around those, so just another one of those cool little diverse things that you just don't think about. So, so that's my encouragement to you guys. This is the time of year to get out there, 
put some boots on the ground and really dig deep and explore and get to know the property that you're hunting, whether it's private or public, doesn't matter. Uh, this is a great time to put some boots on the ground and start scouting. Uh, man, uh, and sheds also, uh, before I started recording uh, with my guest today, that I'll talk about in a second, um, he mentioned that he's already found some sheds. I've been hearing reports from all over. I think I talked about it maybe last week. Uh, it just seems like a lot of people are finding sheds earlier than normal. Um, I, I didn't find any on my walk. Uh, from the pictures I've been getting, I haven't seen any bucks that have dropped. But again, that's not uh, uncommon for me. A lot of times I don't start seeing sheds till late February, early March, honestly. And so, again, I haven't seen any yet, but it seems like a lot of people has. So... Man, I think that's about it. <laughs> Not a lot to talk about because I've just been trapped inside, like I keep saying. So yeah, we're probably just going to dive in. We have a great episode today. Today I'm talking to Tyrell Roy, and uh, this is—I want to say this is Tyrell's third time to be on. Uh, he was on super early in the podcast, uh, and then I had him on again last year because I liked him so much, and had him on again this year because man, he is just—he's a killer. Um, he is a really, really good deer hunter. He also went on a uh, DIY Colorado elk hunt this year, had a lot better luck than I did, had a crazy, crazy moose encounter that you're definitely going to want to hear about. Um, so yeah, so we're continuing. This is part two of my series, the What Did You Learn series. And again, I just want to emphasize how important I think it is to look back on the season, think about the things you did right, think about the things you did wrong, and learn from those so that when you go on to next year and the following years after that, you just learn from those things, you know, keep them in mind, keep them fresh in your mind and learn and make yourself a better outdoors man or outdoors woman. So, so that's what we're doing this week. I hope you guys are ready for it. Um, I'm, I'm really enjoying this series and, you know, doing a couple of them, you know, I, I join in also, I talk about things that I've learned. It's really pushing me to really reflect because this, you know, this is the second one I've done. Um, hoping to do at least one more, maybe two more. And so, uh, you know, it's getting not necessarily harder for me to think of things, but I'm having to think of like less obvious things, um, which is, is great. You know, I'm having to really reflect on, on my season. So, so yeah, I'm enjoying it. Hope you guys are enjoying it. If you are, let me know on social media. If you have something that you learned, hit me up on social media. Maybe I'll share it on the podcast. And I think that's all I have for you. So, yep, me and Tyrell this week. I hope you all enjoy this. We're going to get into it after a quick word from our partners, which is going to happen right about now. Postseason can be one of the most important times to be running your trail cameras. Maybe you're trying to see if that shooter buck that eluded you all year is still alive. Or maybe you have a great late season food source that is pulling in bucks from all over the county. No matter what the case, you should be storing those trail camera pictures in Deer Lab. Deer Lab can help you keep track of that historical data and use it in the future to bag those bucks who snuck by you this past year. Deer Lab uses factors such as location, weather, wind, moon, and more to help you pinpoint where that buck is and how he's moving across your property. You can find them at DeerLab.com, and don't forget to use my promo code Oklahoma Outdoors for 20% off at checkout. It may be cold now, but spring is just around the corner, and so is the bass spawn. If you're looking for a quality place to do a little fishing, check out PrivateWaterFishing.com and browse their extensive list of private lakes ready to be reserved all to yourself. You can search by area, availability, or even fish species you want to target. Many of the lakes even have boats or watercraft right on site for you to use. It doesn't get much simpler than that. 
So if you're looking for a one-of-a-kind fishing experience, go to privatewaterfishing.com and sign up for your membership. When the nasty winter weather has me trapped inside, one of my favorite activities is to get online and browse the local land listings. If you've been checking out some land, or maybe have a piece you've been wanting to sell to put a little cash in your pocket, give the hardworking agents at Arrowhead Land Company a call. The knowledgeable agents will work hard to either find the parcel that fits your needs or find the right buyer that fits your parcel. They have agents all over Oklahoma and are quickly adding more agents in more states to their resume every day. So give Arrowhead Land Company a call and let them go to work for you. There is truly no place like the great outdoors in Oklahoma. When you're out in the wild, you want your wireless devices to work. Unlike other carriers, Bravado Wireless believes that coverage in rural areas is important so that you stay connected. With competitively priced plans and coverage where you need it, the mission of Bravado Wireless is to keep you connected no matter where you are. Visit bravadowireless.com or check them out at one of their retail locations. Bravado Wireless, the power of connection. Hey everybody, welcome to today's show, and today we're talking to repeat guest, Mr. Tyrell Roy. How you doing, Tyrell? Pretty good, man. How are you? Oh, not too bad, not too bad. We're in the middle of this uh, crazy little ice apocalypse thing, but you sit up where you're at, you're not even getting any of this, right? No, no precipitation at all, just, just the cold temperatures. Man, I am jealous. I am jealous. Uh, well, cool, man. Well, uh, today we're going to do uh, part two of my little series I've uh, just started, and uh, it's going to be basically, you know, what did you learn? And so the point of this is just kind of to take this time to reflect back on this past season, you know, think about the ups and the downs, the things you did right, the things you did wrong, and uh, just try to kind of, you know, learn from those experiences. So if that sounds good to you, uh, that's what we're going to do today. Sounds good, man. Oh, man, I almost forgot. I just told you, uh, you know, kind of our little order here, and I forgot to let you introduce yourself. So you've, you've been on the podcast, I want to say this is maybe your third time, something like that, but uh, just in case nobody uh, remembers who you are, why don't you give us a quick little introduction? Yeah, man, my name's Tyrell Roy. I live up here in, I'd say, the northwest part of the state, and I farm for a living. We, uh, we're mainly wheat farmers. We also run a bunch of cattle, and you know, I've got a three-year-old daughter, and about to have a baby here in a couple weeks. Mm. I mean, that's pretty much my life. Nice man, congratulations! I, I don't know if I knew that or not. Uh, I probably have. I keep up with you pretty closely on on social media and stuff. But congratulations on the new baby. That's exciting. Yes, it is. We uh, we opted to not find out on this this go round. Ah. So at first it was a little difficult, but now that it's almost there, the anticipation is high. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my my brother did that on almost all of his kids. They didn't find out, and uh, man, I I don't know if I could do it. I guess you know one way or the other, you're going to find out eventually. But uh, it just seems yeah. like, uh, yeah, I don't know. That'd be that'd be tough. But well, uh, yeah, again, congratulations. Um, yeah, I'm I'm excited for you guys, and I'm sure you're excited about it too. So. Yep, for sure. Um, cool, man. Cool. Well, all right. Like I said, we're gonna do a little. Uh, you know, what did you learn this year? And I feel like as the as the uh, host, I should probably go first. So I'll kick us off, and then 
you know, if you have any input on my things, go ahead and throw it out there, and uh, I'll do the same on yours. And so, uh, yeah, let's get after it. So, the uh, the number one thing I got for this week, or the first thing I have for this week, is don't get too excited about opening day and ruin a good spot. Uh, that's something that I I've actually I've even preached that on this podcast. I've thought it to myself for years. Um, I, like obviously, I'm always excited for you know deer season to get underway. But I always kind of keep in mind that, you know, in this, at least in our part of Oklahoma, like usually opening day is just not that great. Uh, you know, it's hot. Um, a lot of times the deer are kind of shifting from their summer to their fall pattern. Um, and so it's just normally not that great, honestly. Um, and this year, like, you know, I was just so excited. Um, I, you know, I was up at the ranch. I was, uh, you know, I'd been shooting my longbow and stuff all summer. I decided I was going to take my longbow and I basically, I pushed it way more than I should have. And the wind was not, the the wind wasn't really good for anything. If I remember right, we had like a, like a Northeast wind or something. We had a wind like we almost never have. Um, There's just kind of a weird, I don't know, weird front moving through or something. And basically I pushed it. I decided to hunt, you know, one of my, not best spots, but one of my better spots um, I had a enclosed blind, you know, I, I was kind of counting on that thing to keep all the sin in and everything. Um, but of course, you know, it gets, it's getting close to dark and two does come from like straight downwind. And then before they even get to me, uh, two bucks and a doe, I think come from the other direction. They're all kind of closing in. And then of course, one of the does, you know, gets my scent, blows, blows all the deer. So I end up basically spooking like five deer this evening. Uh, out of one of my, you know, better spots on opening day and just kind of set, basically just set a bad precedence, you know, for the rest of the year for that spot in general. So, so my, my number one deal is like, yes, be excited because it's deer season, but if the conditions aren't right, don't try to push it and ruin your spot from the get go. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. The, the thing that jumps out at me is you can shoot your longbow from a enclosed blind. So that wasn't the plan at the beginning. Uh, okay. I, I actually took it with me to test it, uh, yeah. and I almost I almost switched up. So I actually carried both bows with me to it, okay. uh, and cl- I climbed up and, and had both with me, and then did a little practicing. And I actually could. I, I have a, a Banks blind. Of, I think it's the Stump Four, um, and I think my longbow's sixty-two inches. I want to say. Um, and if I, if I was in just the right position, I could shoot it. Um, but I, I, out of most of my blinds, I put plywood around the bottom. Like, so basically, you know, I built, I use four by fours for the post to raise it up. And then I put sheets of plywood around the bottom and cut a little shooting hole. So if I need to, I can hunt off the ground with my longbow and then hunt out of the top with my regular bow or rifle or whatever. So, um, but this time I was hunting out of the top. I got you. Yeah. Are you shooting out of a vertical window or horizontal? Uh, that one was going to be a horizontal if I was shooting straight. And that's, that's one of the reasons I picked the Banks blinds. Uh, so they have like, like a lot of blinds, they have bow windows in the corners and then a, yeah. a horizontal in the front. Uh, but their horizontal window is like way taller or wider. however you want to say that than most blinds? And I, I think it's because they're made to be used with crossbows. Um, oh yeah. Definitely. But, uh, you know, most, most windows are like eight to 10 inches or something. I want to say this one's like. 14 inches something like that so it has a pretty yeah it has a pretty good space out of that front window and that that's part of the reason i bought it because 
you know, I do a whole lot of bow hunting, but all of my, you know, siblings and like I have, uh, like my nephew took his first deer this year out of one of them and they're all rifle hunters pretty much. And so I wanted one that was truly good for both. Uh, right. so that's why I ended up going with the Banks blinds. So I got you. Yeah. I, I have, I don't know if I've ever shot a deer out of a, like a, you know, a true bow blind, enclosed blind, yeah. like a muddy or, or whatever redneck or whatever that a lot of people use. Yeah. I just, I don't Oddly know. Enough, I have not, yeah. Yeah. Oddly enough, I have not yet either. Uh, oh. I think I have a, I have some older, uh, round ones that I sh- I've shot a doe out of, but this year I had, I think four of those new blinds, but I, I ended up shooting my buck out of a good old fashioned tree stand. And so, uh, okay. I, I hunted out of them, but I didn't actually kill anything out of them. So, yeah. so yeah, okay. I, I'm still, I'm still new to this also. Yeah. I mean, I think they have some, some serious advantages for sure. I've been contemplating getting some mm-hmm. for a couple a couple of spots, but I'm, I'm so mobile that it's hard to justify. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like I have one on a, a big food plot that, you know, I just, I don't have a good other, I've, I've talked about it before on here, but like, so our, our place was almost completely clear cut in like 2008. Right. Uh, so I just, I just don't have a lot of trees that I can hang a stand out of, honestly. Um, yeah. So these blinds, you know, they allow me to hunt a lot of places that I couldn't normally hunt. That like, if you had, you know, bigger trees, you could be more mobile, and I probably wouldn't rely on these yeah. as much. But uh, you know, another ten years, there's going to be a lot of trees I can probably hunt out of. But for now, I'm, I'm fairly limited on trees, and so these allow me to hunt a little more that I couldn't normally hunt. Right. Yeah. The thing that's attractive to me about them is the I, I like hunting in bad weather, and that was. Mm. Just, it would make it that much more comfortable. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Having a roof and everything. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's pretty nice. And, and kids, you know, you said you're about to have your second kid. Uh, yep. you know, that's like I said, my nephew this year shot his first deer out of one. And, uh, so yeah, they're, they're fantastic for kids. Yeah. yeah. I, I, this year I took uh, my daughter, Heidi, she's three. She just turned three. Mm-hmm. I took her out several times. Um, sitting in like a pop-up style blind, like a hub style pop-up blind. Mm-hmm. And man, we had a blast. Of, of, <laughs> we, we got to see a lot of deer and we just, we just had a lot of fun. And that is That's perfect. Awesome. You can get down on the ground and play in the dirt or whatever, but <laughs> mm-hmm. a lot of fun. We, we ended up shooting a, a doe off the ground. We just went and set up on a trail where they're crossing to the South South and filled a lot and, Set behind some like a blowdown, me and her and my wife, and end up shooting one on the ground. She's standing there eating a cracker, watching the whole thing. It was, <laughs> it was so much fun. That's am- that's yeah, that's amazing, man. Uh, yeah, not a lot of people. I don't. I'm trying. I don't think I've ever killed a deer off the ground. I've killed some hogs, but uh, yeah, to do one with a three year old and your wife, that's that's pretty <laughs> awesome. Yeah, it was it was uh, pretty comical to say the least. <laughs> yeah, awesome. yeah, a lot awesome. of fun. Well, cool, man. Well, uh, why don't you hit us with your first uh, lesson learned? <laughs> okay, so first of all, I'm going to go. So I went, I was able to get my hands on a, a landowner voucher for a bull tag in Colorado for second rifle mm-hmm. season, which is, I think it was like October 29th through, it was like nine days long into November, which is a, it's a bad time to be away from, the deer woods in Oklahoma. <laughs> <That's like laughs> yeah. Best week, week and a half, in, in my opinion. But 
uh-huh. especially that week, the last week of October. But mm-hmm. anyway, I wasn't going to pass it up. And so we, we jetted out there, my wife and I, and my wife had a tag a couple years before this. It was a third season bull tag and we had gone up in there and she was able to shoot a, shoot a nice, a younger bull, a nice bull mm-hmm. on the, on the first day. So that kind of like limits you. Like I want to experience, I, I'm going to the mountains, the mm-hmm. backcountry elk hunt. I want to experience, I want the full experience. Right. And so we went up right. there on her hunt, shot a bull opening morning and we were out of there that day, you know, mm-hmm. and it was perfect for, for our situation, for that situation. But this, uh, this hunt that I went on was the complete opposite of that. I ended up spending <laughs> like seven, seven and a half days in, in the back country. I put, I think I did a little over 75 miles in that seven days, mm-hmm. like on my boots and mm-hmm. It just covered so much ground, and I've never, you know, I've never elk hunted before. That was the first for me. So there's a lot of things to take away from that mm-hmm. experience, you know. There's, and, and I was able to shoot on the seventh day. I was able to shoot a shoot a bull in his bed. I mean, it's just it was like the the cherry on top of the, an incredible experience. The the mental aspect of that hunt is is I think. Uh, much more overlooked than a lot of the other aspects of that type of hunt. Mm-hmm. I, I hear it in, you know, researching for that hunt or whatever, a lot of people are talking about fitness and gear, but you rarely hear people talk about the mental aspect of that hunt. Like the, mm-hmm. the I don't know, just to dig down and keep going, you know, the, mm-hmm. the mental game that you play, because I was seeing elk like every day. But if I was on this mountain, they were on the other mountain. If I went to that mountain or whatever, they were always one step ahead of me. And it was, I mean, it eats you up. It's almost Mm -hmm. worse than, I don't know, it was almost worse, probably probably not, but almost worse than, like, not seeing elk at all. Mm -hmm. So I was was getting so close, but I just couldn't couldn't feel the deal, you know. Mm -hmm. So that, I would say that something that I really took away from that hunt was, it it can literally change like in the blink of an eye. Just keep keep walking, keep glassing, and just just keep going. You know, don't take your head out of it. Mm-hmm. Which, which is, I mean, it's it's difficult, but yeah, you, you're up yeah. there and you don't have any service. You can't talk to your your wife or your family. And like I was up there with my brothers, uh, luckily, you know, so. It was the two of us, which if I don't know how anybody would do that by themselves. <laughs> but, but so you know, we were able to communicate. We didn't always spend the day day together or whatever. But yeah, it's definitely it's it's one of those things that you know I would tell anybody, and I've heard people say this too. I would tell anybody, go try it. You know, mm-hmm. it, and yeah, you might get your truck stolen. <laughs> But it's the best experience you've ever had, you know, and you, and you don't know until you get out there and, and experience it. Mm-hmm. That, that seventh day, I was, I was hiking out of there, and in my mind, like, I was, I was done. Like, I, I was trying to make it sense that 
I had it, you know, I hadn't got an elk. It was worth it. You know, it's worth every minute of it, but I was going home without an elk. And I was walking out of there when I saw that elk, you know, bedded down. You know, he was a mile and a half away. And I'm literally up on a rim on this point. And I, I, uh, at that point I had radio signal to my, the cabin down there where uh, Carly, my wife, Carly and some family was, and I was able to radio them and I, Hey guys, I see a bull, but I'm just beat. I can't, you know, I can't go for it. And they were all like, you know, a hundred percent behind me. Go get it, go get it. And, and obviously they're like, that's not, that's not like Tyrell at all, you know, to, to stop or to mm-hmm. say, Oh, I can't. So I just, I, at that point I'd done like 12 miles that day. I, yeah, I was, I was just gassed. And I, I don't know how I mm-hmm. made it back up that mountain, you know, a little over a mile. It was just, it was just, it's one of the most insane feelings to be like completely done in and be able to push through and, and accomplish something that you set out to accomplish. You know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That is, like, hands down, it's one of the best feelings ever. Mm-hmm. Especially for, and, and without, you know, you know flatlanders, to... flatlanders like us. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right, yeah. And I, the bull was, like, at 10.5, I think, when I, where I shot him. It was, like, 10,500-something feet. Like, that was way up there. Mm. You know? But a little side note on that hunt something that I was not really prepared to deal with at all was about the middle of that week. I was, I was by myself. I was going up. I wanted to get up real high above Timberline and, and just glass a lot of country. Like I, the way I hunt, especially out there is I cover a lot of ground. So I was, I was right at the edge of Timberline and it was kind of windy and I, I heard something like, I don't know, maybe five, 600 yards across like right on the edge of that timberline type of like brush and just borderline trees and stuff and it sounded to me almost like a really deep bugle Hmm. so I I was like well you know I can't nothing to lose here so I started heading over that direction and I get about halfway there and I hear another it's like the tail end of a bugle and this one was a little more higher higher pitched and it's pretty windy so I I'm not sure, you know, what I'm hearing, but I'm like, there's got to be a bull in there. So I, I get over there to this, like, this finger of trees, almost kind of like an island of mature, like, <clears throat> bruise trees or pine trees or whatever they are. And I go up to the edge of it, and I'm looking at it, and I can't really see anything. So I, I start into there, and it's, like, big, you know, trees blown over. And they're, like, matchsticks, you know, scattered across there where, some of them are three, four foot off the horizontal off the ground. So I'm like climbing up on these logs and looking around and I see, I see a, uh, like a glimpse of antler. I get my gun off my shoulder and I'm, I'm thinking this is about to happen. You know, I'm about to, there's a bull there. I'm, this is about to happen. And it's like 30 yards away, but it's really thick in there. So I'm watching, watching. And then out of that brush comes a, a bull moose, a giant bull moose. Mm. And then he's kind of going from my left to right and crosses in front of me about 18 yards. And like, like I was saying, not knowing mm-hmm. like this is a problem or something to be aware of. 
I'm just, I'm set, I'm standing on a log that's probably three foot off the ground, three or four foot off the ground. And this moose walks by like 18 yards, giant bull. Ends up there with six moose in this group, and there was a hot cow. There was four bulls, a hot cow, and she had a calf with her mm. from the previous year, you know. So it's almost mm. as big as she is, but not quite. And there's a bunch of young bulls that are just pounding that cow. And then some of the bulls would take her calf, and this mama is fired up. And she, she would run a little bull off, and then she would try to get back with her, her calf. And then the little bulls would chase her. And, and I've got some of this on video, but it's just just going crazy, you know, within 20 yards of me. But a couple of the bulls are going to my right, and they're hooking down, like, even, like straight to the, my right, almost behind me. But they're they're maybe like thirty yards away, and then the cow chasing up chasing a bull, or yeah, the cow chased the little bull away from her calf. And once they got out a little bit, like straight to my left, there's a bunch of young spruce trees and stuff, pretty short but really thick, and they were behind that. So I wasn't really paying attention to them. And once that cow chased the bull off and the cow started to come back, well, then the bull started to chase her back and the calf had looped around to my right, hard right. So the cow comes out of that brush and she's running from the bull toward her calf. And I'm between her calf and her. And about the time I'm realizing she's running toward her calf and I'm in the path, (laughs) he's on top of me. So Mm. I'm, I, like trying to jump off the back of the log backwards. She's like, by that time she's in my face and she literally smashed up against the log, the horizontal log. I'm on the other side of the log and she's like trying to stomp me. Like her feet are just going crazy, you know, and her, her half was all raised up, super aggressive stance, you know? Mm. Well, I, I shot my gun off pretty much in her, in her face. And that kind of, I mean, that got her attention, but I, I literally had, like slobber on my chest and I was I was screaming at the top of my lungs. I was terrified. Gosh. Yeah. And then so I oh, loop man. around this island of trees. Like I'm as soon as like I shoot my gun, the bull is right behind her and he's just like pushing her. She's scared of course of the gun. They kinda like go to the right to where the rest of the moose kinda were. I go to my left and loop up around there. I'm I'm hot putting it up up the mountain, above Timberline, trying to get where I can see everything. And it's kind of like this three-foot-tall brush and stuff that I'm going through. I look up right in front of me as a bull moose laying down 15 yards. All I see is antlers. Just, and he's <laughs> moving his antlers trying to hear. I'm, yeah, I was yelling at him. <laughs> it was very terrifying. Oh, man. That is, a, uh, that is definitely a once-in-a-lifetime type encounter. Yeah, it definitely was. Yeah. That I would morning, love to know how I, many people... Oh, Go sorry ahead. about that. That morning, I had... I knew I was... We were hunting this big meadow park type of deal, and I knew from that point in the morning after the hunt, I was going to head up the mountain. So I went as light as possible, and I didn't take my pistol, which is... Mm. I, the rest of the trip, I never went without my pistol. <laughs> yeah. But you, you think, oh, Colorado, there's nothing... There's no wolves or grizzly bears or anything I need to worry about. No, that that mama moose was out for blood. 
Golly, I would I would love to know how many people uh, in history have had moose slobber, you know, on their chest from a live moose, you know, not counting dead ones from a live yeah. moose. Yeah. That's an incredible story. <laughs> yeah, it was yeah, definitely uh, something to take away from that hunt for sure in this last mm-hmm. season. Yeah. Yeah, man. And then going back to kind of your original point, just with the mental toughness, um, I've done a couple of those, you know, backcountry hunts in, in Idaho, and, and Idaho's not near as high, um, but I, I, me personally, I think it's more rugged. Like, I think it's steeper and stuff. Yeah. And, you know, when you, get to, when you get to, like, morning number three, and you're trying to wake up before the sun, and you're just already, you know, dog-tired, and, you know, you know you can hike back to the truck and drive an hour and get a nice hot cheeseburger after you've been eating, you know, jerky and granola bars for two or three days. Yeah, it, it's tough, man. It really is tough. Just And it's something down here that it's it's kind of hard to relate to, you know. And, you know, like, you know, a lot of times when I go uh, deer hunting, you know, I can run to town for lunch or even run to town for dinner after I hunt and stuff if I want to. Uh, so, yeah, you definitely get used to your little creature comforts. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, just being away from my wife and mm-hmm. my daughter, and knowing you know that they're they're just right down the mountain. It's not like they're they're at home in Oklahoma. They're they're six miles away down the trail. Like mm-hmm. I can yeah. I can get there tonight. You know that's a <laughs> that's a difficult thing. Yeah, man, for sure, for sure. Awesome, man. So, well, so what's, uh, what's number one. two on your list? All right. Uh, so this one, uh, I'm going to go back to back in, uh, I guess, September. Uh, I went on, I think it might have been my first out-of-state whitetail hunt uh, ever, which is kind of crazy. I've hunted a couple different states, but I've always lived there. Uh, but my sister moved to Nebraska and married a, a farm boy, and his his uh, you know family has a bunch of land and stuff. And so uh, I went up there to to go deer hunting. I, I had a real short trip. I think I only got to hunt like two days or something like that. Um, but one thing I learned while I was up there is uh, one: don't be afraid to like knock on a door or ask for permission. And luckily, in my case, I didn't have to. I had something better. Uh, but I, I didn't honestly. I didn't even think about this before I got up there because you know they already owned land and stuff. Um, but once I got up there, kind of found out like. Uh, one of the pieces of property they owned, they had a real bad neighbor that, you know, if it's brown, it's down type neighbor. So I wasn't super excited about hunting that spot. And then another piece of property they owned, uh, they had planted in soybeans, but the beans had already kind of turned and yellowed. Uh-huh. Uh, and so I, like, I, that's, that's where I hunted the first evening and just, I, I saw like two does kind of skirt it, but I mean, they didn't even come out into the beans. So that was kind of disappointing. Well. Um, but I, I, I had already kind of, you know, when I was doing all my scouting on, on Onyx before I went up there, I noticed one or two neighbors that they had that looked really good. And so after my first hunt, I was talking to my, uh, my sister's father-in-law, you know, it's kind of passing the time. And I was like, yeah, you know, such and such, uh, had, you know, his spot looks really good. And he's like, oh, you want to hunt it? And I was like, I mean, I would. And he pulled out his phone right then and called him and he's like, yeah, he said, it's fine. And so I was like, oh, and so, uh, so, so then I was like, oh, hold on. And I like looked up, the, I was like, do you know, you know, such and such? And he's like, oh yeah. And like calls them. He's like, yeah, he said you're good. And oh my so, goodness. Uh, oh yeah. And so I kind of learned two things. One, you know, and also while I was driving around, uh, I pulled into somebody's driveway to turn around cause I was looking at a, a spot 
And uh, a few minutes later, I looked at my rearview mirror, and that person like pulled out of their. They saw me, and you know they were wondering what I was up to, and uh, ended up talking to them. Yeah. They were super nice, and they were like, they said I can come hunt on their place. And so, uh, so lesson number one is Not just you know, don't be afraid. Oh yeah, I know. So lesson number one is just you know don't be afraid to try to you know knock on a door or something like that, um, because I you know just especially in the western states I feel like just people there's not as much hunting pressure. People are just, you know, nice. And, and and a lot of the people I talked to, even if they deer hunted, they weren't bow hunters. Like a lot of them were just rifle hunting. You know, they, they hunted one or two weeks out of the year. And when they found out I was bow hunting, they're kind of like, oh, like, obviously you're not going to kill anything. Like, go ahead. <laughs> uh, so that was a, that was a big plus. Uh, but then man, like having, you know, having somebody in the loop, like having my sister's father-in-law, you know, I, I kind of quickly discovered like he could call anywhere in basically like a three mile radius and probably get me permission. Um, and I kind of started thinking about it afterwards. You know, like you know, obviously not everybody has you know a relative or something in in another state. But even like that person that I ran into, uh, you know, yeah. that followed me down the road, I started talking to. You know, they gave me permission and like they could they could have become that person. Like, hey, like you know, what about your neighbor over here? And yep. you know, all, like all it takes is developing a relationship with like one person and who knows how many doors right. that could open. And so I'm, you know, it's a little too far away now to, to figure out if I'm going to go back. I, I'm pretty sure I'm going to need to go back this year and I already have that knowledge that I gained from last year. And this time, uh, you know, ahead of time, I'm going to call my you know sister's father. I'm like, Hey, like, you know, <laughs> can you get me permission on these two or three properties before I even get there? Uh, and I'll be way ahead of the game. Uh, so yeah. So like, one, don't be afraid to knock on a door, and two, don't be afraid to basically leverage any kind of you know foot in the door you can get a hold of because you just never know what it can lead to. Right? Yeah, yeah. I think that's. I think a lot of guys going out of state, especially if they don't have a private private land piece to go to, they're they're looking at all these public pieces, you know, and and not even thinking about mm-hmm. like you're talking about out west. There's less pressure. these guys are right one mm-hmm. for a week or whatever and bow hunting isn't looked at like you know like yeah. it is in some places yeah that's, mm-hmm. that's definitely definitely key would, would you go back for longer i would yeah for sure uh again trying to figure out the whole vacation so <laughs> i have more hunts than i know what to do with so uh i should draw iowa this year um that's my plan so if i yeah so if Ooh. i draw iowa you know i'm gonna put away a lot of uh you know, vacation time and honeydew time for that trip. Uh, so, you know, I'd love to still go up, you know, for a couple of days to Nebraska, yep. but if I draw Iowa, that one's definitely going to take precedence. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, I think I'm a year or two away from Iowa, probably two years away from Iowa. Is, is Nebraska, it's it over the counter. You yep. state, and they have a September one opener. Yeah. So that's I went just you know I've never had the opportunity to, to hunt a velvet whitetail, and so I went that weekend. You know, there's probably other yep. weekends I could go that would be better, but one, you know, those times are probably also going to be good here in yeah. Oklahoma. Uh, and two, I just thought it'd be cool to you know shoot a velvet buck and and like you know I wasn't technically hunted public land, but it was kind of like a public land hunt. Like you know I had I had never been up there to visit them or seen it oh, or yeah, anything sure. like that. And so you know I was stepping foot on it, even though it was private land. I was stepping foot on it for the first time. So there was definitely that you know kind of adventure aspect right. to it too. So but yeah, I I definitely would love to go back. And this year would be a really good year to do it because last year just it seemed like all the crops were backwards, like where I 
where I would have wanted soybeans was in corn, where I, you know, where it would have been okay to have corn was in soybeans type thing. Uh, but you know, yeah. assuming they do a, every other year rotation this year, you know, a lot of those spots that I thought would be really good will be in soybeans. And so, so yeah, I'd, I'd love to make it back for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely a, on my bucket list. I haven't hunted white tail outside of the, the oh, state yeah. ever. Yep. Took out last year in Kansas. Mm-hmm. I'm drawing a tag. I, hopefully I'll yeah. get that tag this year. And then hopefully here in a couple of years, I'll get Iowa and, yeah. Yeah, looking yeah, forward to that. I think sure. I've had a Kansas point for like four years, but I just haven't I haven't even put in for it just because I knew I wasn't going to be able to, you know, last year I did the elk hunt. Uh, I don't remember what I did the year yeah. before that, but I just, yeah, yeah I, have, I have too many irons in the fire. So, so. Yeah. But uh, yeah. what about you, man? What's number two for you? Number two, okay. So this one is a, it's, it's a hard deal for me to swallow. This year, I, I filled both my buck tags in Oklahoma this year. And both of the bucks that I shot, I made poor mm. shots on the deer. And as, a, as a bow hunter, like, I, I don't rifle hunt for deer. As a bow hunter, that's, that's hard. And, I mean, you spend so much time, you know, trying to get that moment when you're about to release that arrow, you release that arrow, that moment. You spend so much time for that, you know, searching or whatever, and then to, to make a poor shot on an animal. Mm-hmm. It's hard to swallow. And the, the first buck that I that I shot was, I mean, it was the classic, like, rut hunt. The, the buck was between does. I'd watched him all morning. I went and ate lunch, went back all afternoon. I'd watch him with the doe, and, like, two hours before dark, he broke with that doe. And he was on the neighbors that whole time, and, he, and then he jumped on the, my property and was just cruising. And I was in, ended up calling him in from like four or 500 yards away. And he just came running in and he, he was coming perfect. But then just like old mature deer do, he, he circled down one of my tree and I was in my saddle. So I'm, I'm really cranked around to shoot behind me. And it was like 20, it was 25, 26 yards. And I just find him. And that that's like a shocking mm-hmm. a shocking moment. You see that arrow flying and then the deer mm-hmm. drops. You know, if you if you put a shot on a deer like you want to put on it, mm-hmm. it's gonna run. It's not gonna mm-hmm. fall over right there. Mm-hmm. And it you know, it just hit the ground it's almost like a it's, I don't know, it's almost like a letdown. Mm-hmm. You want you wanna be so but then you know Mm-hmm. I just messed up, and so obviously I had to get down and shoot that deer again. And then the second deer that I shot was—I mean, it was a cla- it was a classic. I mean, it was—I did everything right until I—I mm-hmm. I pulled the trigger, and I, I missed. The deer came in, facing me frontal, fifteen yards, which I have no problem with my shooting deer frontal. At 15 yards with my setup, I'm totally comfortable. I've done that multiple times and pulled the trigger and totally missed the deer. And he, and he didn't he didn't move or anything. I just went two inches to the right and didn't even touch him. Hmm. Buried in the ground. I mean, I I can live with the yeah. miss more than wounded him. Well, he ran he runs off, and this was a late late season. It was late December, and so there there was like 10 bucks in this bachelor group and so 
they kind of split ways, but they really wanted to get back to their bed and which I had, had bumped them out of their bed, bed at like one o'clock and I was, and they were coming back to their bed, you know, an hour later or whatever. And, and when this happened and then, so I missed him. He runs off a little bit and then he, he's walking back through this pinch point. And this time he's like 35, 36 yards. And so I'm like, Oh, I can do this. And I, I shot him so far back, one in the ham, but right in front of the ham, really low. And man, it's just, it's, it's a bad feeling. And he runs off. I watch him lay down and I mean, I, I gave him the night and ended up finding him the next morning, you know, 700 yards away from where he was. But, you know, I mean, luckily I found him. But, that's it. So, so I've, I've been pretty successful. So since 2014, I started putting some stuff together, figuring out how to get in front of deer, some mature bucks. And I, I killed like, I think 17 bucks that are mature you know, Pope and Young type of bucks since 2014. And I had not lost one of them. I hadn't put a bad shot on one of them. And and every year I fill all of my doe tags. So I was pretty, have been pretty prolific. And this year, I, I, I don't know if I just got target panic. I got too comfortable. I'm just too used to seeing the arrow hit where I wanted it to and too comfortable with it. And messed up, you know, on those those two bucks, and that's definitely something I've been dealing with, you know, working over in my mind this year. Is do I need to, you know, do I need to switch something up? Do I need to practice more? And I, I think I know it comes down. What it comes down to is just slowing the shot down and really focusing on what you're doing. And I was just rushing it, and just knowing. Hey, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to watch the arrow disappear where I want it to do. He's going to die because that's what's happened. But that's not how it was, and so it, it really takes you back to the to the drawing board and try, you know, trying to figure out where I'm where I'm messing up. And and so, like, as far as like from something that I learned from that, are you there? Yeah. Sorry, I'm good. Yeah. So as far as something that I've learned from that, I don't know the answer, right? But I know that at a certain point in maybe it's your, your hunting career or this trajectory that you're on. For me, I've hit, I've hit a point this last season where I messed up, you know, twice. And and now it's mm-hmm. like, now I'm at the point of, you know, what, what do I do? Where do I go to, to be more, to be that killer that, you know, that you want to be. Mm-hmm. For sure, man. And, you know, I can definitely say that, you you bow hunt long enough, that's going to happen, you know. Uh, I think, uh, so this year, I put a really, really good shot on the buck that I killed, but it's because last year, the buck that I killed, on the same day in the same spot, I spined him. Oh, yeah. And so that just fed me, you know, I, pract- I practiced a little extra this year and everything, and uh, so th- this year, the buck came in pretty darn quick, uh, and... But I, I think when I did the episode about it, I said, you know, the, the best thing that happened to me was that deer, he came in and then he turned and faced me and didn't give me a shot. And I kind of yep. was forced to take some time. 
slow down. And in my mind, the whole time, I'm sitting there going, aim low, aim yeah. low, aim low. Because uh, in 20, it would have been like 2019, I think, I spined a deer. Um, and so, you know, it's happened two out of the last four yeah. that I've shot with my bow, I, I spined. Um, and so, yeah, this year I was really making myself slow down. You know, I practiced and everything and put an absolute great shot on yeah. it. So, so that's some encouragement for you. Yeah. You know, you'll get back on the wagon. It happens to everybody. Uh, but don't, you know, obviously don't give up. You got to keep at it yeah. and you know, it'll improve for sure. Right. Yeah. After that, I, I still have three doe tags to fill and, and fill those three doe tags with no problem. An eye opening experience for sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. That's part of the reason I like to have you on, because I know you are a killer. And uh, like you said, it's a pretty, pretty impressive streak. So, uh, yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to move on. Let's see here. How are we doing on time? I think we got time for about one more each. So I'm going to skip over uh, to this one. And uh, my uh, last one for the day is don't stop, don't stop scouting, even in an area that you've already scouted. Uh, so my story kind of behind this one was, uh, I did a little bit more than average public land hunting this year. Um, I, I kind of stumbled upon this place on accident. I actually tried to go hunt a different spot and it was closed for a controlled hunt, wound up on this little piece of public and ended up going back a couple times. And, uh, the, I guess it would have been the second time I went out there. Uh, I took uh, a trail camera with me just because I, you know, thought the area looked pretty good. And I was walking around, and it was kind of a little bit before. It would have been like mid-October, so it was kind of before you know they were scraping or anything like that. And I found this area that uh, I was pretty sure was like a hub scrape. Uh, you know, there was no leaves, no vegetation or anything. You could see like an old used uh, licking branch and stuff above it. And so I was like, you know, you know, get a spot as any. So hung a camera on it, uh, let it soak for a, about a week. And now we're, we were, uh, this would have been coming into the last week. So like a uh, muzzleloader opener somewhere in there. And, uh, I was going and I, I found the camera and I looked and sure enough, the scope, uh, it would, and after I hung the camera, I opened, kind of opened it up with my foot just to kind of get things going. And I'd see, seen that deer had been there. There's deer tracks in it and stuff. And so I was kind of sweet, check the camera. Uh, there's like a decent eight point on it and something, and so I was feeling pretty good about myself, uh, but I had brought a second camera with me just because, again, I felt like this spot was going to be pretty decent. And so I kept walking and found a few more scrapes, found a spot. I, I set the second camera up, and then I was kind of walking out, and I was purposely walking kind of in a different spot just to kind of you know scout more. And I came across, across this area, and there was two massive scrapes right next to each other and i mean you like you could smell the pee in them and everything like they were obviously fresh and i was like man like this is where i need my camera and so i I pull out onyx to to see where my first camera was and i'm like on the dot and i was like what the heck so i look up and i'm looking around and i see my first camera Uh, i mean you know maybe 20 yards away something like that um and so i don't know if like the camera being on that first spot pushed the deer a little bit, or if I was just wrong about the old scrape, or you know, maybe it wasn't a hub scrape, maybe it was just an old scrape or whatever. Um, but again, like you know, one week made a huge difference on how those deer were acting and where they were at and everything. So I ended up pulling that first camera and moving it over to that and got several really good pictures. Um, and uh, I ended up not so that, yeah, that weekend I ended up killing a buck, uh, and then I had 
the buck that I ended up killing pretty regularly on camera. So I ended up not going back to hunt that uh, public land again. Uh, but I did go back, you know, at the end of the season and pick those cameras up. Uh, and again, like walking, you know, just to get pick, pick up those two cameras, I found even more scrapes. Um, I actually moved my second camera to a different scrape. And I got scrape activity on it until I picked it up again, like uh, early January. Um, and so just like, you know, just because you go in and you scout some areas and you see some deer sign, that doesn't mean that you're done. Like, you know, it's not like, oh, well, you know, here's the sign. I'm good now. Like you have to be continuously scouting. Um, and, you know, I don't know how you find that balance on private land. Again, like, you know, if this, if that was private land, I probably wouldn't have been walking all over the place and hanging cameras in random spots. So I don't know where that balance is. Um, yeah. But as far as public land, you know, if you're if you're in there and you're trying to beat another hunter to that deer, you know, you can't afford to just sit back and wait. You got to be aggressive. Um, so yeah, like I said, just just because you have done some scouting doesn't mean you are finished scouting. Yeah, yeah, I think that is some killer advice for sure. You you could just be off by, I don't know, just a little bit, like like you were. That's, that's some great stuff. I don't know. How, I, mean, how, I, I would have been out of bow shot. Yeah, yeah. Is that public you're talking about? Does it get pressured quite a bit or no? So this little slice that I found, I don't think it does uh-huh. because part of what made it so attractive to me that first time I was in there, I found like two sheds in pretty obvious spots. Oh wow! Uh, and so, I, yeah, I was like, man, if if anybody had been in here, they would have found these. Um, and I, I didn't get any pictures <laughs> yeah. of other hunters or anything. Um, now well, I know the area around there gets hunted heavy. You know, I'd, I'd see people pulled over on the side of the yeah. road and stuff. Um, but I, I kind of found a, a magical little sliver, uh, that I think is, is pretty lightly pressured. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. That's something that it, it's hard for me to invest any time into public land oh, yeah. around here just because it, I've got, it really is. Yeah. I've got really good land to hunt. So but it's very intriguing. I, that's, I mean, I think I, that's kind of the draw of Kansas or one of the draws too, is just to go somewhere and, mm-hmm. and walk into somewhere and just figure it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's almost more of a challenge than a, a need. And I'm sure there's a lot of people listening to this who only hunt public that are probably angry <laughs> at us for, you know, saying that, yeah. but, uh, but, but, uh, you know, it's, it's fun. It's a challenge. And, uh, that's, you know, Part of the reason I started this podcast was to push myself and challenge myself and learn from people, and so yeah, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep doing it. Yeah, for sure, exactly. Yeah. yeah. All right, what uh, what are you gonna close this out with today? And I, I think I gotta go with something that's become increasingly, or I've become increasingly aware of in the last couple of years. It, it's something that I've always I've always tried to do, and that, and this, this is relating to taking kids or and or people that don't have a, a chance or or they're new to hunting is getting them involved with it. And, and this is kind of a two part thing because obviously I have, I have a three year old now who goes with me everywhere, but for, I've always taken people hunting that that wanted to learn or that were young or whatever. And I think that's really important. In this part of the state where I live in the Northwest, it's hard to find 
land to hunt because it's it's pretty sought after. There's lots of pieces mm-hmm. of land that are leased out to these guys from out of state or from the city, from all over the pretty much all over the country. They're coming to hunt this land, just getting leased up like crazy. And these guys come out here, they shoot a buck or two, but they don't shoot a doe. And our our deer numbers up here are exploding. We have so so many deer because no one wants to shoot does, and and you can see this like in the at the state level they're they're adjusting rules so that you can harvest more does, but no matter how many, I mean what no matter what you make the limit, if people aren't shooting does it doesn't matter, and I think that's a right. I think the doe harvest thing is a great way to get your kids or other kids people who don't have the opportunity don't have access to the private land or they don't you know they don't know they, they want to learn or whatever i think it's a great way to get these people in immersed in you know what you and i love what we love to do what we did mm-hmm. when we were kids or learning how to hunt and i i think that this this problem i think is becoming very it's going to become more serious and i think that we're going to get to a time where we far exceed our carrying capacity for deer and some diseases come through that, you know, we don't want to deal with. That's going to affect everybody that hunts, mm-hmm. you know, because just because, mm-hmm. I mean, up here it's just, you know, field after field of ag crops and then cover fingers and, you know, whatever. And so there's just, it's just insane amount of does. Like the other night I, I sat on a hill and I could count 275 deer in one field. Mm. That's, I mean, in, wow. in like five bucks. That's horrible because no no mm-hmm. one wants to shoot does. So I think that's that's what I would want to go out with is get get some kids involved or somebody that that wants to learn. There's there's lots of people out there. Go shoot some, some does and yeah. I mean, you you know my phone number. You know anybody that's looking to get involved or whatever, send them my way because I'm telling you. <laughs> you have gobs of those. Yeah, man, for sure. Uh, you know, the Oklahoma saying, hunters in the know, take a doe. Yep. Uh, it's very true. And I, I find myself struggling with this a little bit because I'm, I'm in a different part of, you know, I'm opposite side of the state and I'm more in cattle country. So, like, right around where I'm at, we don't have a super high yeah. deer density. Um, granted, you know, it's probably still off. I need to do a better of shooting does. Um, but yeah, for, for most of the state, you know, the, the property we sold, uh, I was a doe killer out there cause it was definitely overrun. Yeah. Um, and like you said, you know, the old, uh, the Jurassic park line, uh, nature will find a way nature finds a way, whatever it is. Right. Uh, you know, that's, you know, we're, we got CWD, we got EHD and a lot of those, you know, started in high deer density areas. Right. Um, probably for the same reason. So yeah, that's, that's a really good one, man. It's, it really is important. Um, yeah. And it's, you know, it's great meat. It's, there's really no excuse not to. Right. Yeah. Up here, the, the local processing houses, you can donate those to cost $10 a dough. And mm. I got this year, I got depredation tags. You, you don't want to know how many does I killed this year. <laughs> Take them down there and yeah. they donate them to the homeless shelter. If we don't do something about it, I mean, it's, they're going to be wiped out in an uncontrolled way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
and you know, I've heard about it from from other sources, you know, other uh, podcasts and stuff. And it's kind of an old school mentality of don't shoot the does because you know it w- it wasn't that long ago we were trying to grow the population, right? And so you know you were trying to shoot a buck, you were trying to leave the does, but you know that that time is kind of coming coming gone and. Uh, yeah, and, you know, everybody likes to see lots of deer and they think it's cool, but if you're really serious about having a good, um, you know, steady, healthy population and, you know, bigger, mature bucks, you know, if if you have so many does that they're competing for that food, uh, you know, your antler size is going to suffer. So if you consider yourself a trophy hunter, it's just as important to shoot does as anybody else. Right. Yep. Yep. Agreed. Gotcha. Cool, man. Well, that was a great one. We're coming up. We're uh, almost 55 minutes or something like that. So I think we're going to go ahead and shut this one down. But, uh, man, Tyrell, this was awesome. I really, really appreciate it. I appreciate you, uh, uh, you know, just bringing all your experience and stuff. Uh, do you want to give a quick uh, social media shout-out, or would you rather people not, not come and find you? No. Come, you know, come and find me. I'm, <laughs> I, uh, all right. My Instagram handle is Tyrell underscore Roy, and – yeah, that's it. Plug me up, follow me, or give me a shout out. Uh, give me a holler and we talk about whatever. You always have uh, cool pictures and stuff. Uh, your brother is basically a professional photographer and videographer, so I know he helps you out a lot with the <laughs> photography and everything. Yep. So, yeah, y'all are y'all are a great follow for sure. So. Well, cool, man. Like I said, I appreciate you coming on, and uh, I'll try not to wait as long before I have you on again. So I really appreciate it, and I hope you have a good evening. Sounds good. I appreciate it. There we go, folks. Another great one. Another good episode. Thank you, Tyrell, for coming on. That was awesome. Uh, Like I said, guys, at the beginning, that guy really, really knows what he's talking about. So pay attention when he talks. Uh, Go follow him on Instagram. He's super educational and just a really, really good guy. So that's going to do it for today, folks. I'm going to go try to stay warm. I'm going to hang out with my family while I can. uh, Enjoy these couple days off work. And that's all we have for today's episode. So I hope y'all are doing good. And until next time, I will see y'all right back here on the Oklahoma Outdoors podcast. Mm